All right. Here we go. Quiet. Roll up. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. You know, you've been here before, so you know that seated across the microphone from me right now <laughs> is Film Buff Online, wizard, and Comic-Con enthusiast as of this weekend, Richard Drees! Hey, and seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online contributing editor, general cheerleader, and I try. <laughs> going to a Broadway show this weekend, Natasha Bogutsky. <laughs> yes, as we record, we are... I am just hmm, 36 hours away or so from uh, being on the road to New York Comic Con. Mm -hmm. I will be getting up at 5 a.m. to be there. I will. I will give you a call before I go. Would you like that at six o'clock or not? Ow. <laughs> I guess that's a no. <laughs> that was me throwing my phone at him. Yes. That, that large clunk was it bouncing off my thick head, apparently. <laughs> um,. But yeah, excited for that. Um, we're recording, if people are doing the math backwards, on Tuesday of this week, uh, October 10th. And that means <gasps> Moonlighting premiered on Hulu. And oh, I knew that was <laughs> fucking coming. Oh, this, this was a show that was very much part of the zeitgeist in 1985, 86, 87. Uh, launched the career of Bruce Willis. We would not have had Bruce Willis without this show. True. And it had kind of been out of circulation since the early aughts when they released a DVDs uh, for all five seasons, which are have long since been out of print. And, and guess why? Music rights. <laughs> oh, they figured that shit out? Um, uh, they figured some music rights out. Some others, um, they did not. Um Actually, I kind of understand because one of the shows that I really love, uh, which is hard to find, it's called Secret Diary of a Call Girl with mm -hmm. Billy Piper. Yeah. Um, the first two seasons and the last season are available on um, on physical media after it aired simultaneously with forget which channel it was in the UK and Showtime here in the US. But the third season. Nowhere to be found. I've seen it, but it's nowhere to be found. I was going to say, did they ever be. release a season three or was it, you know, just released short and then kind of went out of print and they didn't work hard to bring it back? I think it might have something to do with the music rights because mm -hmm. if you, um, this is actually kind of funny. So I have seen a version, I've seen the UK version of the first season and I've seen the US version of the first season. The music is different mm -hmm. in each season. Mm -hmm. So my brain is going, could that be a possibility of why season three doesn't exist? That may very well be. It might have been too much of a um, issue to, you know, just too insurmountable. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a sh this is a thing we see with a lot of shows, obviously. Yeah, yeah obviously WKRP in Cincinnati. Wall-to-wall -wall music, uh, because it's set in a radio station. Yeah, right. Uh, Miami Vice, uh, another of the mid-'80s shows that really brought a great cinematic aesthetic to television, 
and you know was a game changer that way wall-to-wall you know pop hits so that has been a struggle to get out on streaming and on physical media at times Mm -hmm. and like i said you know the the dvds for moonlighting were released between 2003 and 2007 and hasn't been on streaming at all ever hasn't been in syndication since like the early 90s i don't think uh you know it's very strange for a show that had this kind of nuclear bomb impact on the culture to Just kind of have disappear. been yeah to to disappear and um you know i've talked to so many people you um you know my friend mike um, and some other people who are like, yeah, I've never seen this show because I haven't had the chance to, you know. And- I'd never even heard of it before meeting you. <laughs> Which is surprising because I think it would be something I think maybe your mom would have watched back in the day. We didn't have a whole lot of access to television at that time. That's true, too. Yeah. Um, and so I'm very excited that, you know, about a year ago, almost to today, the, um, the creator of the show, Glenn Gordon Karen, had gone on social media and said, hey, we're starting to try to figure out how to get this show back out there for people. And a year later, they went back to the original film elements and did a 4K high def restoration, which looks really nice, Mm. Um, especially because the show would frequently kind of change its look in terms of like when they do a black and white episode or when they do a dream sequence episode. Um, There's a Dream sequence episode in season three that's directed by Stanley Donnan. Okay. Who? Stanley Donnan, the director of Singing in the Rain. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, he worked with um, <clears throat> Gene Kelly. And I didn't realize who the director was from that. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. And um, so, so the the shows look as great as it ever has because. It's only ever been available in like an old school 48p or 480p, excuse me, standard def. I know you showed me um, a quick clip of it this afternoon Mm -hmm. and it does look really good. Yeah. It's what I'm worried about is they worked so hard to get this released after 40 years. Is it going to find a new audience without marketing? Um, Well, yeah, that's that's Mm -hmm. streaming for you. Um, hopefully, I think word of mouth, I think, you know, I've seen some, uh, piece, pieces being written on certain sites, um, on Slate, I saw something, I saw, you know, a couple of other pieces, we have a piece going up, uh, later on tonight, or first thing in the morning, at Film Buff Online, on the 13 essential moonlighting episodes you need to see, um, I had a lot of fun writing that, revisiting a bunch of stuff over the last week or two, um, and, you know, thinking about certain things and how people reacted to the show at the time and what makes an essential episode for that series. Um, and the piece that I showed you, in case people are wondering, was from The Dream Sequence Always Rings Twice, which is the the famous, quote unquote, black and white episode from early in the second season, introduced by Orson Welles in his last filmed appearance. He Aww. died like five days after he filmed that. And then they dedicated the episode to him, which was very sweet. Um, in fact, if you find um, – there's an oral history of Moonlighting as a book out there. And um, all a lot of the pe- – basically, the, they interviewed everybody except Bruce Willis for this book. And there's a substantial 
couple of pages set to everybody's reaction to Orson Welles being on set, you know, for that short couple of hours that he was there to record that intro. That was that that's really sweet. You know, all these people like just like, oh, my gosh. Um, and I didn't even get to show you there's they do a lot of stuff with uh, the lighting. Um, mm-hmm. Like when Sybil Shepard gets uh, her close up shots, they do some old school Hollywood glamour lighting on her. That it is a little bit jarring when they cut back to a two shot, but when it's just on her, it's stunning and beautiful. And this show was constantly um, behind schedule. But it's kind of, I mean, at the time, it was a horrible thing. It made the show late. They never fulfilled a 22-season order and kind of made fans a little upset. But in retrospect, looking at how absolutely perfect it was, you know, these, you know, in terms of imagery, in terms of the storytelling, it feels very forgivable now. 40 some years later but there you go so so that's what i've been watching in the last uh, several days um i started with um frazier a couple months ago i'm somewhere in season five i got a ways to go i okay. know the um the, you can't the, call it a fucking reboot anymore it's a legacy sequel it's 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 they're not calling they're, it season 11 or whatever are they no, it was okay. season eleven already happened. But no, well, it's well season just whatever. Calling it fucking Frasier. Okay, like there's no like colon and whatever after it from what I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably won't be getting to that until you know after I'm finally done. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, the only thing on television that I'm excited for this month: the return of the Gilded Age. Oh, okay. How have you been enjoying that? I loved the first season. Mm-hmm. It's not Downton Abbey, even though it is written by <laughs> Julian Fellows, and there is an argument that can be made for uh, there are some slight similarities between like the upstairs and the downstairs staff. But I, I think it plays a little more also with um, racial issues mm-hmm. post Civil War. In America at the time, you're looking at the Industrial Revolution and how that changed the class system. You're dealing with uh, a society change. I mean, technically, you kind of had something similar happen in Downton, but it was so kind of the specifics are very different, despite the fact that it's a yeah a broad kind of similarity. It's a broad similarity, but with Downton. You are kind of secluded at Highclere Castle mm-hmm. in the Yorkshire countryside. It the world is like looking at Shikshini and Makanaqua. If you guys know <laughs> Pennsylvania, if you guys have ever been in northeastern Pennsylvania, you might understand what I'm saying. You're out in the boonies. Yeah, it's like okay, Shikshini is like a little tiny town. And Makanaqua is where you go and you see Confederate flags being hung up over your local bar. For a heads up, we live in Wilkes-Barre in Scranton, (laughs) and this is like 30 minutes from us. Which is disconcerting. Yeah, whereas like Scranton would be, say, London or New York City, which is going to have a different society shift 
and uh, the idea where people are going to be a little more mm-hmm. interested now, in what's happening in the now rather and, than what happened in the past. And we should name drop, though, that Kristen Ritter, the actress, is from Shikshini. <laughs> is originally from Shikshini, yes. and uh, her modeling career started when she was spotted by a talent scout at one of our local malls. Yeah. So, um, she's she's uh, the wonderful. Memories of those malls. Uh, yeah, which is kind of it's kind of sad now. Yeah, I think the 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 only store that uh, really does well at the uh, the mall right H&M. now is. No, I was going to say the tumbleweed store because it's just got tumbleweeds growing all the way through this place. It's so, well, it feels Cina- so deserted. Cinnabon does pretty well. Oh, yeah, Cinnabon, yeah. <laughs> but this area doesn't have a lot of healthy options. So, mm. yeah, well, no. well, mall culture itself is kind of dying, which makes, mm-hmm. which, you know, when I go back, okay, sorry, there was an episode of Moonlighting that I watched a little bit of today that has them at a mall and they do make a there's like they show up at a mall a couple of times through the series run for various things but also we have movies like even mall rats or fast times at ridgemont high which really kind of preserve that these things were like shopping meccas and people went there and i don't know if it was amazon and uh shopping via internet and having stuff brought to you that kind of destroyed that whole experience? I think that's what started it, but I don't think that's what really killed it. I think it's actually now our younger generation who is looking more to, um, not so much to fast fashion, although they do buy an awful lot of fucking sheen <laughs> and Fashion Nova. And I am guilty of that as I'm currently right now wearing a sweater from Fashion Nova. <laughs> Honest though, this thing is it looks fucking nice. heavy. I like it. It's heavy and it's really pretty. Mm-hmm. But um and it's one of the more higher quality pieces I've ever received in my life from a fast fashion house. I ran this thing through so many washes and mm-hmm. I don't have a single bit of pilling going on right now. So okay. boom. But that being said, it is they're looking for more recyclable materials. They're looking to kind of minimize the carbon footprint. So a lot of people are either buying fabrics that are – they're spending a lot more money on not a lot of items Mm -hmm. that they're going to use over and over and over because they're trying to save – our earth and save cash or they're going to consignment shops and thrift shops and buying in bulk Mm -hmm. but still buying things that they're going to utilize a lot and not creating more waste but using what's already out there. A shift in how generationally people go about acquiring their wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that as a part of a reason why um, people would, you know, stop going to a mall. But, you know. It also doesn't help that our mall doesn't cater to the generation that has the money. Mm, that's true, too. That That's that's an individual thing. I'm talking about mall culture in general, though. You, mall you don't, culture is – you, dem- don't, you, 
You don't go to the mall to go to a bookstore anymore because you have Amazon. Mm-hmm. You don't go to a mall be- to go to the record store because you have Amazon or iTunes. Uh, and you can download that kind of stuff, which I don't even which download sucks. it. It's just using Spotify. Like I have mm-hmm. every song at my fingertips. I, yeah, but and we've we've actually gone to a record store and spent like an hour or two, like just flipping through all the all mm-hmm. the discs and looking at what's yeah. uh, you know what's available. I think, and that's a great thing. And I honestly sometimes I kind of miss that. <laughs> oh, I, I miss it too, and that's why every now and then I'll I'll find a way to do it. But picking and choosing what you're going to purchase now, a lot of people want a a more minimal lifestyle. And I think that's becoming a case of, um, (laughs) you're going to laugh at me. Everything is getting more expensive. Okay. Mm -hmm. Apartments are getting smaller. Mm Mm-hmm. You're, the prices for these apartments are astronomical. Yes, you cannot do tell. You can, <laughs> bitch, right now you cannot complain. I know. I have a decent home. You have a really nice sized apartment and at a decent amount. That's well, decent comparatively to a lot of yes, other people. If, if I was finding this now on the market, it would be three times its price. Mm-hmm. Right now, you. You have the NEPA version of what everyone in New York City is jealous of. <laughs> rent stabilization. It's not, not rent stabilized, trust me. Every Oh, it still goes up. December 28th, it, I get an e- I get a, a nice little letter from my landlord it's who who stab- lives next door, so let's <laughs> It does go up, but it is a stable amount. Mm-hmm. They I, would be jealous of it. I would be for happier this if it didn't go up quite as much uh, if it wasn't s- almost parallel to my normal job raise because it feels like I'm yeah. not, you know, I'm not gaining any ground in that. Everyone's it's like feeling every, that. Yeah. And I, I understand. Um, but the issue with that is because everything is going up and apartments are getting smaller, we can't fill it with as much stuff. I'm trying. I know you are fucking trying. I'm sitting in it. But but yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. Which is why they're not spending as much. Mm-hmm. Or when they are, they'll save up for, say, three weeks to buy a very high-quality blouse that they're going to use for the next five years. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you're not spending and spending and spending – Malls and stores are going to go bankrupt. Yeah. It's an overall shift in consumerism, which I understand. And, you know, the music industry and the uh, film industry can still sell lots of home video and lots of music to people. But, yeah, it it can fit all into a tiny little hard drive as opposed to having Mm -hmm. a wall full of records or something like that. Yeah. Um, You know, so... I love the so, idea of having my own personal library mm-hmm. of books Same here. and stuff, but it may not be conducive to my living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and all of that's kind of fed into, unfortunately, the the decline of the, the American shopping mall, mm-hmm. which is a shame because it was it was not just consumerism. There was a um, a community, yeah. yeah. There was a community aspect to it. Mm-hmm. You and your friends would go to the mall on a Friday night or on a Saturday night, you know, and you'd go around. You'd see, oh, there's another group of people, you know. You 
talk to them. You know somebody else from another school and you see them. You're going to see like the goth group walking down the Uh street. You're going to see. Maybe. Yeah. If you're new in town, you're like. You're going to see the skaters, you know, trying to do Mm -hmm. wheelies on their bicycle in the parking lot. Like there's. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. If if you're new in town, you go to the mall and maybe you'll find your people like the goth Mm -hmm. kids or the skaters or, you know, the guys flipping through um, record albums at the music store or. Hanging out in the sci-fi section of the bookstore. My stuff brain like that. just did this weird combination of Mall Rats meets the Lost Boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that sounds frightening. Uh, well, think about like the the character in the Lost Boys, new to, to town, gets a crush on a girl, but almost immediately this group was like, "You gotta, you gotta set of wheels. Try to try to keep up with us." Mm-hmm. Immediately, almost inviting him into the group. Yes. So that's what you yeah. triggered there. And thankfully, because we see that kind of culture, it's kind of preserved in a way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't disappear oh. as, um, you know, so many other American experiences, I think, have disappeared before the advent of movies. <laughs> so so it's uh, kind of great that we have these things. And um, so, yeah, if, you have, if you're my age and you're missing the mall... Yeah, sit down and watch um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High or or Mall Rats or a number of other movies. Maybe not Chopping Mall. You need to Chopping Mall is not really the mall experience unless you were too were chased by robots with lasers. If you want something a little more modern but still get that that vibe, watch the whole third season of Stranger Things. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I will be here all week. That's true. Yes, yes. It takes place in a mall. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I haven't seen it, but I know. Good Lord, do I know. You can't escape it. We will be fixing mm-hmm. that. But but speaking of films that, that were in the zeitgeist or pop culture things that were in the zeitgeist. Yes. Let's go to uh, what we're going to talk about as our retro review today. And we're only doing it as a retro review because... A legacy sequel is now out. Well, I was going to say it's spooky season, but well, yeah, that's too. spooky season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So if you hadn't looked at the title uh, on your MP3 player or your phone or however you consume this podcast, uh, we're talking about The Exorcist. Mm. <laughs> yes. Okay. I have seen The Exorcist a number of times. I have chatted with Jason Miller about this movie once. Uh, one of the great things about living in northeastern Pennsylvania up until is a certain you might point. have a chance to bump into Father Karras. Yes, <laughs> especially if you know where Jason Miller happened to drink all the time. Uh, look, all I'm saying is I had to interview him for not The Exorcist, but for something else for the local newspaper. And my editor said to Championship make Championship sh- season? Uh, no. Um, it was a play that he a play that he wrote about coal miners. Um and um, my editor gave me the best piece of advice ever. He said, when you're scheduling the interview with Jason Miller, schedule it before noon. <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly what you think. Oh, God. Exactly what you're thinking. Um, but um, this was your first time seeing it. Yes, it was. <laughs> 
Now, your husband was between me and you at the movies, which is funny because usually I'm on one side and, you know, your hubby's on the other. Um, Mm -hmm. So I didn't get the full entertaining show of you reacting to this movie. So tell me, what were your immediate impressions of The Exorcist? Red Wings, Red Wings, Red oh, Wings. Jesus. Um. <laughs> it's the first thing my brain went to. Um, no, actually, I thought it was extremely well done. It's not terrifying. Like, I, I was walking into that thinking that I was going to have the worst nightmares of my life. Like, that's what everyone has always built the exorcist up to okay. to be in, in my brain. Um, you know. Obviously, it's something that probably terrified them when they were younger, uh, coming to it at a later time. Because of those early memories, it still scares them now. Uh, coming to it, I I wasn't terrified. Were, were you expecting, like, gore? Oh. Or more gore? Or... Oh, fuck with my head. Okay. Um, like, more psychological stuff uh it's kind of hard to explain because i'm not quite certain if i have a basis for comparison okay um that being said i know what i would compare it to now having seen it in terms of how i reacted to Mm -hmm. it uh and i would compare it to the original omen which i absolutely adore that film Mm -hmm. when i was a kid it terrified the hell out of me (laughs) As I've gotten older, I appreciate it a lot more. And I actually just watch it for shits and giggles. Hell, I actually scared the shit out of my uh, my coworkers the other day because, you know, it's the beginning of October. I'm going to celebrate somehow. How did I celebrate? Instead of playing, like, the Halloween theme or something cliche, I started playing Ave Satani, and the person sitting next to me is a pastor on their spare time. So it was, like, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how you remain employed there. Anyways, um, <laughs> carefully, <laughs> carefully, yeah. Um, okay, well, let me ask you this. Uh, you said it, you thought it was going to be more psychological. Yeah. Does um, do you? Uh, where do you stand in terms of your personal religious beliefs? If I may, if if I may intrude, if you no, 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 feel no, like please. talking um, about this. Where do you want me to start? Um, well, you were raised Roman Catholic, right? Yes. As was I. Okay. When was the last time you were to church? Uh, probably, apart from funerals, um, maybe a year ago. Okay. Uh, Christmas, Easter, Catholic? Then. I I would say normally yes. I will. A couple years ago, when I was working in Scranton on Penn Avenue, um, right across the street from St. Patrick's Cathedral. Mm -hmm. And I did find myself drawn to it a lot more. And I would go in just to sit there during like evening mass or whatever, if I got done uh, early with my job. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, that, that falls by the wayside. And every couple of years it comes back. I think it's more of a case that I enjoy the ritual of church. I don't completely believe in all the teachings. Okay. And I do find that if you are 
Roman Catholic, if you're raised Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of instilled in you that you have to believe in full doctrine. You can't pick and choose. Yeah, it's it's not – if you but try, you're, you, I've heard you've been being labeled as a cafeteria Catholic. Yeah. But it, a lot of that doctrine I don't think um, translates to our modern-day society. Okay. Okay. Because what I'm trying to get to is – That being said oh, – sorry, really quick. Okay. That being said, when I do attend, I am very rigorous in my worship when I go there. Mm-hmm. It's not that I well, – the moment I walk through those doors, I do believe. Because if I didn't, why did I walk in there in the first place? Okay. I believe that there is something out there. I, But I also believe that I'm human. Mm-hmm. And I don't have all the damn answers. <laughs> and me trying to explain True. it is me trying to say that I am a god. That's fair. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. Now, But I always put on my mantilla when I go to fucking church. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I was trying to get at was in the last several decades, the United States has seen a drop in church going. Um a drop in people's um, being identifying with themselves as part of specific religious traditions. Mm. So I was wondering if maybe a movie from 50 years ago works harder on somebody because they're a little bit more steeped in that Catholic tradition or that Christian tradition. Oh, that is actually a really good question. I have actually been noticing an upturn on religion recently, but not in Catholic. Uh, More of the evangelical? Yeah, a lot of people pulling away from the the doctrine. They don't – it's not that they don't have faith in the faith. Mm -hmm. It's more that they don't have faith in the people who are in the faith. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I can I can see, especially over the last several Organi- years and decades. Organized religion is actually terrifying a lot of people. Yeah. But the evangelical sect, I think, allows them a little more freedom. So it, it is there that they find their faith renewed. Mm-hmm. And kudos to them. Yes. But um, – I don't think I had an issue with uh, the faith aspect of this film. It is kind of steeped in a particular time period. And when you think of exorcism, you do think of Catholic. You don't oh, yeah, think yeah. of really Nobody else really has Protestant or Baptist. Idea. Yeah, it is It is part of a rigorous um, – No, no. My, my thought was maybe it connected with people more – you know, 50 years ago because there was stronger religious faith oh through God. the general populace. Okay, so you have not seen the new legacy sequel, Exorcist. Believer. I have not. And I have not heard good things either. But you, I know you went with I some did recently see it. And the answer to that question 
is in that movie. It's probably the only good thing, really, that came out of it. <laughs> but I cannot answer that question without giving away some spoilers for the new film. Um, I actually can't. Okay. If you <laughs> are intending to see the new Exorcist film God and you haven't you. yet, um, in spite of reviews, you're still going to tough it out. Uh, skip over the next three minutes of this podcast no i'm not even or, gonna answer oh it. okay you're not even gonna no okay, i'm not no. gonna answer it um no 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 keep keep that in oh okay don't cut it okay okay and don't cut me telling you to keep it in <laughs> uh no that there is a i know that you down the line will probably go to see it yourself uh, yeah which is why i'm saying i'm not going to answer okay. this but once you see it I will be more than happy to revisit that particular question. Okay. Okay. Sounds fair. Um, okay. So so what did work for you in this movie? Okay. Honest? Everything. Um, I thought the performances were strong across the board. Okay. Something did annoy me. And it is just a sign of the times. So I was trying to forgive it. And I know how good of an actress this person is, which is why another reason I was trying mm -hmm. to forgive it. Ellen Bernstein, however, when she... There are times where her fear and her hy hysteria is almost melodramatic. But that was the style of acting, probably from the 70s and pre. Mm -hmm. You know, that quick, well, I'm not going to take it anymore, yeah, damn it, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's just like, Jesus, slow down. There's hysteria, and then there's, are you, are we on a soap opera? Okay. You, you, you get yeah, what I'm yeah, saying, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like that there was this switch and the switch didn't come until probably the late 70s to early 80s where we started seeing go from heightened emotion to more realistic emotion mm -hmm. she rides a strong line but when she's begging father Karras and a few others she does go like off the rails and i'm like ellen my dear, I love you. <laughs> I've seen what you can do. <laughs> Requiem for a dream. Uh, yeah. uh, nearly, <clears throat> literally did me in. So bring it back. But then I, I have to remind myself that was 25 years prior. Yes. Yes. Um, um, that was the only issue I really had a problem with. Okay. I was in... Um, I was actually slightly impressed also with a lot of the special effects that were done. Mm-hmm. The Exorcist twist. <laughs> you guys watch Buffy, you understand the reference. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. You can tell it's kind of a... I don't want to call it a robot. Animatronic. A, yeah, dummy head. Yeah, dummy head. But it's... In, in like a wider shot, but then they move in close, and it's really, you know... Her 
but with a false, you know, back, mm-hmm. you know, that she's leaning into basically and zoom, coming in. In the wi- I'm thinking of the wide. Yeah. The wide, the wide is to the, Yeah, the wide. But when you once you cut in, you kind of buy the whole thing because it's her. It's her yeah. actual face at that point. And 1973, you're, you're pre a lot of those special effects. I mean, like by 12 years. Like I'm thinking of Terminator. Um a lot of those animatronics really starting to come to play. I thought this film was very fucking well done. Oh mm-hmm. my God, the crab walk down the stairs. Jesus. And that was originally not in the movie. They shot it and then they said, nah, it's not. That they doesn't look right. They shot it and it wasn't blood that fell from her mouth. I've seen the original <laughs> crab walk. You know what I'm talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's more terrifying than the blood was. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you can't add that now. No. Even uh, though they kept in the red wings and the crucifix. You know what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I think if they had c- tried to cut that for like a modern sensibility, um, I mean, the the crucifix thing is... Those are iconic moments yeah. that are have now been cemented 50 years. Yeah. But that was a delete... The crab walk was a deleted scene uh, that was put was, back in. Yeah, that was put back in, though, about somewhere in the early aughts. Which when they released you The Exorcist, the version you've never seen before. Um, Which means you can alter it because yeah. it's footage that no one... It, it had not become iconic in true. terms of the zeitgeist. True, 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 true. Um... Jason Miller, his first film performance, and it's, I think, phenomenal. And I I'm not just saying, again, not just saying this because I've met strong. the guy or whatever. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, he He's heartbreaking, uh, you know, when he's, uh, you know, beating himself up emotionally about his mother dying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he brings a humanity to there- a priest character that we don't see, a fallibility yeah, uh, you know somebody who's constantly searching and questioning his own faith, which I think is fantastic. I think um, that happens a lot more than people like to think, and uh, but it but wasn't it's until often not discussed. Yeah, it wasn't until really this movie that you see a lot of that. Okay, maybe in going my way with Frank uh, with um, Bing Crosby. A but little even, bit, a little, a little bit, but it, it, the time it's period kind of, you couldn't uh, really discuss that. Yeah, it wasn't. It was very surface. Yeah. This is really deeply psychological, and I think this was like kind of like a turning point for uh, portrayals of clergy mm. in film. And I'm just kind of like, like I'm even thinking, I'm thinking about other movies that portray clergy that were out around this time, maybe a little bit before you have something like. Where angels go, trouble follows. Well, I'm also um, where... thinking about the lasting impression of that down to doubt, down to fleabag. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Like yeah. I, I don't think we would have had that had not Father Father Karras existed, which is interesting to me because when you, when I hear the Exorcist and I think the priest. Until last week, I didn't even know Father Karras was a character in this film. When people talk- You just knew Jason Miller was in the movie. No. Oh, you didn't? Okay, wow. So you really went into this blind. 
I really went into this blind. Okay. We all have our blind spots, everybody, before you start yelling at your no, MP3 no, no, no. player, your phone, whatever. It's not even that I had a blind spot. I knew of The Exorcist. I had seen a couple of shots here and there. I didn't know that there was a second priest. I didn't know that the second priest was actually technically the first priest. <laughs> Mach- Max von Sydow has such a strong chokehold over this film, even though he doesn't he appears in about four minutes in the beginning and maybe the last 20 minutes of the end. Mm-hmm. Between him and Linda Blair, those are really the only two names that I associated with The Exorcist growing up when I when I heard about it. Ellen Bernstein came a little later on in life, but until last week... I didn't even know there was a character named Father Karras. <laughs> I didn't oh know that he played second fiddle in the exorcism itself. And I didn't know that he was probably the third major character of this movie. So you didn't know that? Who got as much screenplay uh, screen time as the other two women. Yeah. So you didn't know that Jack Nicholson had auditioned for the role? No. I knew and so had Ryan nothing. O'Neill. No. And those would have been terrible choices. <laughs> Maybe Ryan O'Neill. Maybe. I don't I don't see Jack Nicholson. And this is still kind of pre Jack Nicholson as Jack Nicholson in whatever movie he's in. Um I think this J- Jack Nicholson This is when he was still I think kind of interested in being an actor and not a movie star. Yeah. So he, he, Ryan O'Neill, I could definitely sort of see. There is yeah. a um, an everyman quality mm-hmm. to him. Jack Nicholson just has fucking crazy eyes that make <laughs> you not. It, it's really hard to follow that look. Mm-hmm. I just started watching Heartburn the other day, written by Nora Ooh. Ephron. Yes. It's on HBO Max. Oh, my God. On Max. Um, <laughs> if you guys have a chance to check it out, highly recommend. It's... Mm-hmm practically autobiographical oh my um but but getting back to here um i want to read you a quote from jason miller well that he gave to me actually when we were talking about the exorcist back in 2000 i wrote about it um for local newspaper and then um also uh we i repurposed the entire interview for film buff online and um i want to get your reaction to what he had to say here okay Okay, quote, there's two ways to look at the exorcist. One way is that Father Karras gives his own life to save the girl. He jumps out of the window and Satan has been thwarted. The other way is that Satan really wanted the two priests and he just and he was just using the girl as the instrument. He's up by seven points. That's why the theologians got a little crazy about it. Because when they started looking at it at that level, they said, wait a minute, what kind of picture is this guy making? It's that existential ambiguity that makes it a go. You don't have that in movies anymore. End quote. So, first of all, Mm -hmm. how did you read the ending of that movie? Was it? Father Karras being a hero or Father Karras losing to Satan? Both in the same shot. Interesting. 
So first um, off, let me preface this by saying that I had heard about a priest, about the priest in the ex, it, not a priest, the priest sacrificing himself to take the the demon into himself in the exorcist from a friend of mine. Because mm-hmm. it was mentioned when we were doing Equus. Okay. How um, these, the psychologist in that takes on the god and yes yeah you know. in fact i mentioned to this friend yes. when i first saw the production uh in that last week of rehearsals i was like is this uh, riffing on the exorcist here it, <laughs> and he and he was absolutely like oh my god yes yes so and um, it's in the script mm-hmm. so uh but he said the priest so of course through my own history of it i had thought it was Max Monsito. Mm-hmm. So imagine my shock when he dies probably <laughs> about 10 minutes prior of a natural cause. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? <laughs> During the final moment, though, where he yells, take me, take me. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did think that he was trying to be a hero. But I think he also, at that point, had fallen. Not. It wasn't sacrificial. It he wasn't he wasn't trying to be a martyr. The demon had also fucked with his brain, throughout the exorcist, or th- through the exorcism, and um, he was feeling a ton of guilt and regret about people he couldn't save. So there's, there's that coin 50 50 could be either him being a martyr trying to save someone who is innocent because he couldn't save his mom or there's a matter of there's so much pain and guilt and regret on his shoulders that Mm -hmm. maybe he wanted to die once he took the demon into him when he jumped out the window I actually thought the demon had caused him to do that. Interesting. I, I do realize that you can, you know, as they say in Doctor Who, you can make someone do the chicken dance, or you you can't <laughs> uh, you can't hypnotize them to death. Yes. So I don't think possession could do that either. Wow! But, now we're just dealing with a hypothetical, you're killing- possible fantasy where you can make up the rules to suit your story. But. Also, look at this. Why would, um, why would the creature want to kill their host, only to have to try to find a new one? That's the issue. That makes Father Karras performing a heroic act. Then that's why I was very conflicted. You don't want to kill your host because then you gotta try to jump and find another one, mm-hmm. and then jump and jump and jump. Is it's it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But if you can hang on to your host for as long as possible mm-hmm. before that. Yeah. But what would be the purpose of hanging on to a host? What's the purpose of possession? To to find the one that you want to possess. And then what? Why do you want to possess somebody? Depends on the entity. The entity obviously has a thing for religion. Why not go after oh. the priest that was downstairs? 
Why not go after the friend? Why not go after the mom? The mom's there all the time. The mom has a closer uh, relationship with these priests than they do. No, it bided its time and it drew them in like moths to a flame. Mm-hmm. I, well, I think it was attracted perhaps to Father Karras's crisis of faith. And if it could do something to weaken his not belief in God. Obviously, if you're suddenly confronted with a possession and a demon, you're going to go, well, obviously, then probably God exists as well. That's only going to strengthen your faith. But if, you, he, if you're confronted with something um, that makes you question certain aspects of your faith, though, like, why would God allow something like this to happen? Or, my mother was a good person. Why is she in hell mm-hmm. doing what... The yeah. demon says yeah, my yeah. mother is doing. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very iconic line, but we're not saying it on the podcast. Nope. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Um, but yeah, so there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting questions, I think, that this movie brings up. I think Linda and, Blair, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Getting off of Jason Miller for a second mm-hmm. and off of Ellen Burstein and Max von Sydow, we cannot move on without discussing Linda Blair, the child who mm-hmm. makes it all worth watching. Holy shit. It's an amazing performance. and It's one of the strongest child performances I think I've ever seen because there's so much suffering and it and it's not done up with i mean it's done up with some prosthetics and some makeup but it's not done up with special effects and lighting and and, and sound and you know you're going to have your jump scares it that's just shining it up with wax mhm but if you take all that away it's gritty it's raw mm-hmm. and it's fucking heartbreaking now here's the thing and i've not searched out to see what she's discussed about her remembrance of the time on that set but miller burston others have said friedkin is not necessarily someone who understands the actor's process Mm -hmm. doesn't understand that they like to um rehearse he prefers just going on there and filming for spontaneity and um in this instance in this film friedkin was known for like shooting off a gun to get a startled reaction out of an actor when the actors were like dude we're actors we can act startled it's okay um so i have to wonder and i hope it's not very much i have to wonder how much of those not necessarily like scaring the bejesus out of this poor little girl who's trying to act in this movie, but I have to wonder how much of her performance was based on how freaking the external force works, works with his works. And these are in sarcastic air quotes <laughs> uh, with actors or not. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, that being that's curious. Uh, because honestly, I'm looking at her IMDb, and I'm not seeing a whole lot of yeah, other great roles here. Um, oh, she did a Married with Children. 
you know, she was in a Perry Mason TV movie in 1992. Well, um, unfortunately, that's what happens when you do tend to get so much recognition for a single role that you become known for. It's hard to break out of it, particularly so young. Um, oh, I know. I know. And I feel bad for her, especially because she gave a great performance. You and know, received an Academy Award nomination mm-hmm. for it. Yes. But you also had like Tatum O'Neill, who won an Academy Award and still, I believe, holds the record for the youngest recipient uh, for Paper Moon. Mm-hmm. You also had um, Anna Paquin for uh the pianist not the pianist uh the uh, the piano, piano. Yes. yes and um but for even going back i mean shirley temple got an honorary oscar as a child actor but once they reach a certain point you have to somehow transition from child actor to adult actor not everyone can make that leap after anna paquin got her nomination and and her win there was a dry period while she was going through puberty where she was doing like, okay, I was, you know, doing this small bit and doing this and this. And then she did like a teen film called She's All That, if Mm -hmm. anyone here knows it. (laughs) That's sarcasm. Uh, But it wasn't again until Rogue in the first X-Men film in 99 where you, you start seeing... Okay, here she comes. Here comes adult Anna Paquin. She's finally getting some roles with at least a little bit of meat on them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think that's always been the case. I mean, we look at uh, Abigail Breslin. Okay. Fantastic actress, uh, particularly when she was younger. Oscar nominee for Little Miss Sunshine. She's still working and she's still doing good work, but more in B-level stuff now. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have the, the work a, that she, she probably it is deserves. A tough transition to make for these actresses, and Saoirse Ronan somehow managed yeah, it. Yeah. Yes, yes. But she also went through a small dry spell after Atonement, where mm-hmm. she ended up in like City of Ember. Well, no one wanted to be in City of Ember, am I? <laughs> um, and The Lovely Bones. She gave a fantastic performance, as does Stanley Tucci. Oh, my the God. the only oh. Oscar uh, nomination he's ever received. Which is a shame because Fucking shame. Stanley Tucci is amazing in, like, anything. Even when he's in a crappy Transformers movie, he's still, like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, you. it's Beethoven a Beethoven trans- movie. It's, <laughs> it's a Transformers movie. You don't need to be this, you know, amazing He's and, always good. Yeah, he's ridiculous. <laughs> but what I'm trying way. to say is making the transition yes. is hard. Mm-hmm. And um, it is a shame that we did not see more of Linda Blair because what she did in this movie was f- fucking brave for a child. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've seen child uh, child actors in horror films before. God knows we all have. But there is a level to which they just can't move past. I would say probably the only child performance in a horror film that gets to this level, Mm. maybe, 
Haley Joel Osment in um, The Sixth Sixth Sense. Sense. Yeah. It, It gets close, but it's not quite there. And I think it's more because of what she says, what she does. Those are moments that you cannot replicate. No. You haven't been able to replicate it since probably the mid-80s. We're just so polarized as a nation that doing something like this is... You you just can't do it. I don't know. I think you could still make a movie like this today. Um, But you'd have to lose those particular moments. The moments that really show that this child actor could be something more than just, I'm a child. I I think that might be a shying away of just trying to do, by the studios, of trying to do material that would be difficult. Not, you know, they want to smooth off all the rough edges on things anymore. And And they don't want to offend. And this this is is the movie that fucking offends. And has some really rough edges, too. Yeah. Uh, in terms of but needs to the be difficulty there. of the complexity of the characters. Mm-hmm. And yes, it needs to be there. And I have a feeling, you know, somebody would turn the script into a studio today and they'd get a note back of like, can we make the possessed child more likable when they're possessed? <laughs> you know, it's like it feels like a really stupid studio note that you would get for for The Exorcist today. Yeah. Well, um, I want you to hold on to that. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we come back, hopefully (laughs) next time, I believe we're doing Suspiria versus Suspiria, are we not? Yes, we are. Woo! (laughs) Fucking finally. Um, (laughs) I would like to talk to you in the news. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. What? I'm sorry. Um, I know you're doing Comic-Con. Yeah. And uh, we are recording Sunday. Yeah. This, of this coming weekend because we have to go see. Oh, that's right. We Eris. are taking a break from spooky season this year. And yes, we did decide we were going to try to do uh, a horror thing every week of October this mm-hmm. year. But as well, we, we are making, episode, yes, yes, we are taking a small break this coming week to discuss what could be a shift in uh, film cinema going culture (laughs) wow you're putting a lot on this movie i'm putting a lot on concert films right now as beyonce is also that's right releasing her Um, film as well um but we are going to see taylor swift's the eras tour film that is being released everybody's going to see that (laughs) but but we will be here next week with to discuss um, it yes but first um but when we cut when we do that uh, in the news section, I do want to bring up a couple of really great observations you made tonight about where The Exorcist, if you tried to make it now, how would it go across? Hopefully okay. by then you will have a chance to go I'm see Believer. i We will see. And, the, <laughs> and there's two questions in there I think you will have great answers to. Oh, thank you. Um, but I think that about wraps us up for this episode. Remember, we are now on iTunes and Google Play, so you can either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe, baby. And if you like what you've been listening to, please leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. As we said just a few moments ago, next time we'll be back to talk uh, Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, Swifties, um, 
Beyonce's uh, upcoming yeah. concert movie as well. What I'm actually going to do something bad, but impact? why does it feel so good? <laughs> um, and uh, that'll be a great discussion as well, I'm hoping. And that'll be all right here on the Big Picture Podcast, so you have a good night. Like the lady said. <laughs> <laughs>